Well, I am grateful that you decided to be here this morning, that you decided to come to this hour, not the nine o'clock hour. Can you imagine if everybody decided to come to the nine o'clock hour? Nobody was here. This would be kind of a wild thing, preaching to nobody. Um, I'm glad you decided to get up this morning and I'm glad you decided to put on what you did. Some of y'all looking relatively spiffy. That's nice. Um, did you decide to have quiet time this morning? If so, what did you decide to, to do? What did you decide to have for breakfast this morning? Nothing. Your stomach's grumbling. You can't wait till we're done so you can get to that restaurant, right? What are you going to do this afternoon? Have you made that decision yet? Let me push it out a little bit further. When, if you haven't retired yet, when do you hope to retire? If so, what decisions are you making to get there, to make it happen? You know, decisions really are just what life is, isn't it? I mean, from the time you get up in the morning, whatever time you decide that to be, or the crying baby decides that to be, or, or whatever, to the time you drop into bed at night, whatever time you decide that to be, and everything in between, it's just decisions. You know, what do you wear, and what do you eat, and where do you go, and do you go to that sale, and do you read that book, or do you watch that TV show, and do you run that errand, and do you cut the grass today, or do you hire somebody else to do that, and when you go to Wegmans, what line do you stand in? And after you've chosen the wrong one, what attitude do you have? You know, after you've, you're, you're there, and, and who do you invite over? Do you invite anybody over? And if you invite them over, when? And when they come over, what do you serve them? On and on and on. Decisions. And you know as well as I do, that some of the decisions we, we make, that we're faced with, that we have to make sometimes are just huge decisions, that there's no going back. This is going to alter my life, and this is going to alter the life of people that I love in a major way. And there are some variables that I wish I knew that I don't know. And so we scream out, oh God, would you just show me what you want me to do? I'll do whatever, just show me. Have you prayed that? <laughs> I have prayed that many times. How do we know God's will? In our decision-making. We're believers. We want to honor Him with our decisions. Lots of decisions. We recognize that, that where we are in life is really dependent on the decisions we've made. We say that your decisions determine your destiny. So it's pretty important that we make the right ones. So we've started this series in a few weeks back. We, we said that, you know, if you looked at the will of God in Scripture and you categorized all the inferences to the will of God, you'd have like three, three major categories. The first one was God's sovereign will. This is the stuff he's going to do just because he's God. You might not like it. I might not like it. It might be done a whole different way than we would do it. But it's the way God does it. And you don't see it until you look in the rearview mirror. Everything that has transpired past is underneath the sovereign will of God. Okay. It's comforting. It doesn't really give me information that I need in making the decisions I have to make. Second category of God's will, though, is his revealed will. And we said that's the word of God. This is God's thoughts. This is God's heart. This is God's mind. This is what God likes. It's what he doesn't like. He tells us what his will is for you and for me right here. We looked at, at uh, Romans 12:2, where it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, what? Know and discern, detest and approve. The will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect will. We'll be able to. But, but, the, but to be able to, we have to have our mind transformed first. The, the, the picture we used back then, as we said, that when God created man, God was, was here, God's uh, desires, his values, his understanding, and man thought God thoughts. Uh, man was not omniscient. He never has been, never will be. When we get to heaven, we won't know everything God knows. Uh, but he had the same values. Man thought purely, but once sin entered, 
Man's thinking was different from God and that gap has grown so much so that God looks at us and says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. And we're, we've got a different value system and different understanding of just about everything. And we're trying to make decisions wondering what God is thinking. Well, we, we're just working on a whole different grid. We can't figure it out. It's not an issue of sincerity. It's an issue of ability. That's why Paul tells us as we are transformed, as we are seeking his revealed will, as we seek to know this, our thinking becomes more and more and more like his to the point that we're understanding what God, where God is at. Now, that's God, God's uh, revealed will. We looked at that the first week. Uh, now, we really want to camp on often his, his personal will, that third category. It seems that as you look at, at Scripture, there's this third category that different people at different times, he's got a specific task for them, not for everybody, but for them. And so we want to know, God, what's your will for my life? That's what we want to, to see. And we, we suggested last week that whenever we're making a decision, specifically looking for that, three questions we need to ask. First question is, what's the Bible say? And we recognize, we said that this trumps um, impressions and peace and open doors and coincidences. This trumps supernatural manifestations and angels. And, and I was reading last night, it's kind of serendipitous if there's such a thing with God, but I'm reading last night, Deuteronomy 13. This is interesting. He says this, he says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them as other than scripture. He says, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. God's word trumps even supernatural manifestations because cannot Satan bring those manifestations about? Certainly he can. That's why God's word will always trump it. First question, what does God's word say? Second question, what does wisdom say? Last week we, we looked at Solomon when he became king and he looked at this nation and he said, oh, I don't know how to make all the decisions I got to make to be king. And God says, well, what do you want? And he says, give me wisdom. And God says, right answer, that's good, I'll give it to you. And so Solomon writes for us the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. Life wisdom. What does wisdom say? Now this is how we, we mentioned this yesterday, or last week. First question, what does the Bible say? You want to marry Horatio. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says Horatio needs to be a believer, if you're a believer. So you yes, Horatio, are you a believer? He says, yeah, I'm a believer. Okay, good, we're set, I'm going to go get married. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Then the Bible says you need to ask what is the wise thing to do? Now, he fits the Bible question. You got that one covered. What's the wise thing to do? Well, Horatio has got a substance issue. And he's got an anger problem. When you put those two together, it's real, you better hide. It's really a bad deal. And Horatio hasn't had a job in seven years. And he's got nine children by, you know, eight different women and, and never married to any of them. And he's 23 years older than I am. You know, maybe that's not the wise thing for us to do to get married. What does wisdom say? And then the third question we said, we suggested you ask. If, if all of those are in line, you got them covered. Third question is, what do you want? Because Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now you can't ask that first. What do I want? No, no, no. Because if what God's word says and what you want are two different things, you go with God's word. You can't ask that second. Because if, if what wisdom says and what you want are two different things, you got to go with wisdom. The third question, 
What do you want? Knowing that he can give you the desires if you're seeking to please him. Well, we look at this and we say, okay, yeah, last week, yeah, wisdom, I'm there, good deal. We need to make wise decisions. But how do you make wise decisions? I've got the the ratio thing, yeah, easy enough, but I've got some things that are complex. And I'm facing some stuff that are very, it's very sophisticated issues here. And there's a lot of variables that I don't know. And and in all honesty, the, the answers that I need, I don't have them within me. And so I look at the decision I have to make, that it's up to me to make, and I just don't have the ingenuity, the creativity, the experience, whatever, to make this decision. Now what do I do? Huh? What do I do with that? Good question. I'm glad you you asked that that question. Let me share with you um, some text, but let me give you a principle first. Key principle in Scripture, because God's going to address this very issue. It's how we can be wise. You want to know how to get wise? We can get it this morning. And here's, here's the principle, and I'll unpack this as we go. But he who has your ear has your future. He who has your ear has your future. This is the way Solomon will, will, will mention this. Proverbs 11:14. And this is, there's a lot here. I could only put a few up on the screen and we'd be here all morning just going over these verses. For lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. Solomon's talking to his sons, specifically his son who's going to be king after him. And he says, you want your nation to win? You want victory? I mean, look at us. You want victory in life? You want to be a winner? You don't want to be a loser, right? You want to win? Many advisors. Don't try to do it on your own. You, you, you can't do it on your own. I know there's some issues coming up that are beyond you. You, you need many advisors. Proverbs 12:15. The way of fools seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. Now, part of the issues that we face is sometimes we have these major decisions that are beyond us, but we don't know they're beyond us. I can handle this one. Yeah, yeah, I know what we'll do here. And Proverbs says, a wise person stops and realizes, maybe I need to seek counsel here. Maybe I need not to just unilaterally go through and and make this call. Maybe I need to, to seek counsel. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. One of the reasons, things that goes into our decision making is this terrible thing that we don't like, this delayed gratification thing, right? We want to make a decision that's going to give us what we want right now. He says, ah, if you think about the end, you get advice regarding what is best in the end. You know, you're going to make a, a wiser decision. Now, this idea of who you give your ear to, uh, you give your future to. This is really the way this works. We have within us, you have within you, uh, this metaphor, a, a filter. And we take all of our data about a decision that we have to make and all the variables and all the information and what we want and everything, and we put it through this filter. And then out come the other side comes our intuitions or our feelings or our senses or our thoughts or knowledge about what decision we need to make. Now, the problem is, if your filter is wrong, if it's messed up, if it's broken, if it's not pure, guess what? The decisions you're going to reach, likewise, will not be pure. Well, now, your filter is fluid, and it's being shaped on a regular basis. And guess how it's being shaped? The people you give your ear to are the ones shaping it. They're the ones, that's why we can say, are the ones you give your future to because they are having a voice. Even today in talking into you, they're having a voice in the decisions you will make in the future. Now, now this whole idea of having to find counselors is, is I think, 
part of God's plan. Part of the reason why he gives us issues that we can't handle in and of ourselves is because his goal for us is community. It's not individuality. Um, the people here, and I don't obviously don't know everybody, but over the last 18, 19 months, I've gotten to know some of y'all better than others. I do know this, that among the body here at FAC, there is an incredible corporate wisdom. There are folk here who've been through some very, very deep waters. Uh, things you don't want to go through, but they've been through. And through it, trying to figure out how God's word meshes with this situation with life. They've come through it and they can speak into your situation and say, I understand the complexity of that, that deal. I understand the pain of that deal because I've been there. Let me give you a, an example. I'm at Mayo Clinic and they told me they thought it was brain cancer. They think it's brain cancer. So I'm laying down in this, this bed, this, this people's house that we crashed. I don't even, that's another story. But I'm, I'm, I'm in, this, in the bed and I just had my second spinal tap so my head is going... <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh, brain cancer, this is not a good thing. I got, word got back home to my church in Cincinnati. Marcus probably got brain cancer. And so some people give me a call. I probably had four calls that, that uh, night. First three, nice people. They meant well. All of those things, their heart was breaking, all that. And they called up, listen, Mark, you're going to be okay. I just know you will. Just hang in there. You're going to beat this thing. I just know it's going to be good. Just hang in there. I'm praying for you. You're going to be great. Uh, goodbye. Well, they meant well. No, I mean, I know that. But in all honesty, their counsel just frustrated me to death because I saw the scans. They didn't. I, I saw the look on my neurologist's face. They didn't see that. What do you mean they're, they're telling me things are going to be fine? They don't know. They're not the one laying in, in the bed. They're not the one in my situation. Now, I, the fourth call that night was a friend of mine, Jack. Jack has since gone on to be with the Lord. Jack had battled with Hodgkin's disease. And so Jack calls me up. He says, brain cancer. Oh, that's a bummer. Says, yeah, that's a bummer, Jack. You're right there. <laughs> he says, listen, if you got to take either, you get to choose between chemo and radiation. I'm telling you, take the chemo. I took the radiation. It kind of met, they missed it, messed up my heart a little bit. You know, it was painful for a while, but sometimes you don't get to choose. So you got maybe you have to take them both. Oh, you take them both. And you know what? If it doesn't work and you die, you're going home to see Jesus. So, hey, it's all right. <laughs> you know what? That brought me comfort. Because Jack had been there. He knew the fear. He knew the pain. He knew the, the options. He knew the ramifications of the options. I thought, oh, that's right. I get home. I'm laying on my bed at home. I've got this intravenous thing going. They're trying to pump drugs through me. And my pastor, when I was a little boy, calls me up. And he says, Mark, what are you going to do if this thing renders you a vegetable? What if it doesn't take you home, but it just pretty much destroys your life and you're just laying in bed being nothing? What are you going to do then? I said, well, I hadn't thought of that before. Thank you. Yeah. He says, well, yeah, it's a possibility. I said, well, good. All right. And he says, he says this is what you're going to do. In your, in your state, as much consciousness as you have, you are going to honor God. You're going to have a strong faith. You're not going to deny him. You're going to praise him in your mind, whereas maybe nobody else can see. But as heaven looks on and hell looks on, God will get the glory and you're going to be victorious. That's what you're supposed to do. He hung up. And I said... That's right. I can do that. That's right. Wise counsel, experienced counsel, that is the counsel that we need to be seeking because he who has your ear has your heart. So let me ask you, who has your ear? Because you are allowing them to mold that decision-making process in your heart. 
And so who we seek out, very, very important. Let me share with you a, a verse, probably one of the top five verses of mine in, in my, my life. This is Proverbs 13.20. It says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, becomes wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, now, when we think of fool, right, we're thinking of all oh, this dialectical person. They got a 30 IQ. They're sex deviant. They're snob, slobbering everywhere they go. No, no. I, a fool in the Bible has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with whether they're an introvert or extrovert. This person can be the CEO of the mega corporation. This person can be that wonderful gal who lives next door who cares for her children. This person can be that... that valedictorian of your school yet scripture might say they're a fool because a fool is anybody who does not order their life based on god's word who doesn't live their life based through god's eyes what is it that god would have me to do if you're not there regardless of how much success or socioeconomic or degrees you have god says fool he says he who who is a companion of fools and I love this next line, suffers harm. Now, Derek Kidner, he's an evangelical Old Testament theologian. He says this idea suffers harm. It's this excellent line. Two different interpretations or two different uh, translations, both of them valid. A companion of fools suffers harm. Bad things happen to him. But that word for harm is actually the word evil. So a companion of fools suffers evil. OK, we, we got that. If you hang out with fools, you're going to have bad stuff happen to you. But the word suffers is the same Hebrew word for becomes. A companion of fools becomes evil. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. But a companion of fools becomes evil. We become who, who we, we hang with. You know, let me give you a, a picture on this one. I was probably eight, I think. Uh, Gerald and Earl and I, good friends, we went to Awana. We both, we all, all of us accepted Christ that night, didn't know this to each other. We all kind of did it personally. Um, shortly thereafter, Gerald had decided he took this seriously. He was going to live his life after God. Thought, wow, that was wild. Earl decided God really didn't care and he was going to keep going on being the hellion that we all were. Well, I'm stuck in the middle going, Gerald's probably right now, but Earl looks like he's going to have more fun. So I decided I'm hanging with Earl. Fifth of July, I, I, we, we, Chicago, our neighborhood, good or bad, we were all, everyone was into illegal fireworks. And so the fourth of July, everybody was blowing stuff off everywhere. Well, fifth of July, early morning, Earl and I go get a coffee can and we go around to where all the major parties were and we're finding all kinds of non-blown up firecrackers, right? You know, you like the pack and throw it, well, half of them don't get blown up. So we're filling our coffee can. We're sitting on the curb in front of my house. His house is across the street, but we're sitting on the curb in front of my house and we're taking like 10 of these things and we're putting rubber bands around them and pulling the fuses out a little bit and we're making little bombs. That's what we're doing. And so we're doing this and all of a sudden this kid, probably about our age, is, is riding his bike down the street. Mel the street. Earl says, watch this. He takes this punk, takes one of our bombs, right? Perfect timing. This is perfect timing. Throws this thing a couple feet from the kid's face. Right? Kid goes down. He scrapes his legs up. He gets up. He's bawling, crying. Doesn't look like he's bleeding too bad except for his legs, which hit the, the ground. And so he's getting his bike and he's trying. He's crying. He's screaming. And, and, and Earl is laughing. Oh, I'm kind of going, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we hung out there for a few more minutes. Okay, We assumed the kid, nothing broke. He was able to get on what We thought, all right, it's a tough neighborhood. Deal with it, kid. 
I go in the house. I gotta go, gotta go to the bathroom, right? Go to the bathroom. I come back out, getting ready to come back out, come to my front door, open it, I dive back, get on my knees and kind of crawl up to the picture window and see a couple of cruisers, lights flashing, Chicago police, as they take Earl and put him in the back of this cruiser. And I'm thinking, if I was still out there, I'm sitting right next to him. And I remember this as clear as this yesterday. I said, I bet Gerald will never end up in the back of a cruiser. If I end up hanging with Earl, I have a feeling this is where I'm going to be. He who walks with the wise is wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. It's really central to Scripture that who we hang with, we end up tasting like. My dad smoked like a chimney when I was a kid. I would remember going to youth group and school and people going, I didn't smell anything. I smelled fine, but I smelled like smoke huge. Whoever you hang with, metaphorically, you will smell like them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, don't be deceived. Don't think you won't be. The stuff you put in, who you give your ear to, you become like. Uh, you, you give them their future, your future. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, don't be deceived or misled. Bad company corrupts. It corrupts. It, it alters that filter. It changes. It twists. It turns. Um, even... I gotta share this with you. This this week, sad week for me. One of the kids I had in my youth group years ago. I'm gonna call her call her call her Rita. Uh, very precocious, very much a leader, very bubbly. Just a, I remember going to her junior high because she started a Bible club in her secular junior high, and I went in to teach it one time, and I was surprised all the kids that were there. Tons of kids. Well, after high school, uh, Rita decided she was going to go to this college, Newsweek says, one of the top ten liberal places, universities in, in America. Um, I remember talking with her, said, Man, you've got to plug into some other places. Well, she, she got there, she opened her ears to the professor. She opened her ears to the people in, in her dorm and to the friends. Uh, today, as I read her blog this week, she's the director of some um, substantial liberal feminist organization. She's talking about her sexual exploits. She's talking uh, apostate views of God. She's talking how she she broke the shackles of her early uh, false faith. And I'm just thinking, my goodness, who you give your ear to? And police don't don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we should never go to secular universities, but I'm telling you, if you go into one, student, you better you better hook up with a campus crusade group or a navigators group or a church that has a Sunday school, some place where you can get some wisdom, some biblical wisdom. Because if you've given your ear to nothing but the stuff of this world, the philosophies of this world, they will trip you up in a major way. You know, there's no picture in scripture, no text in scripture. I think that. That paints this clearer than First Kings three. We look at that for just just a, a minute or two. We'll, we'll, we'll close with, with this. First Kings three. As you're turning there, let me give you the background of it. Solomon has just died. Uh, Solomon's reign of forty years has been good, peaceful, quiet. Uh, Israel has gone from just a not just a military powerhouse under David, but the leader of the arts. Uh, a highfalutin area, an educated area. It was like the French Riviera, the Harvard. The, it was the place you'd want to be, uh, but it did not come cheaply because Solomon taxed the tar out of his people. 
And so he got all of their money to build these things and to build his war machines and to fortify the borders and to, to build himself a gold house. And, and his people, he taxed heavily. He, he had a draft going on to put these people in the army and to take the sons and daughters and bring them into servitude, into the government uh, activities. And so there was this animosity going on between uh, the people of Israel and Solomon's dynasty. Uh, this goes back, actually, throughout the scripture. When, when Israel was first divvied out, the largest territory was given to Judah, which was Sol- Solomon's tribe. And there's the south. And to make matters worse, kind of, God comes to King David in 2 Samuel 7 and says, David, you need to know this. The only one that's going to be king over my nation is your family from the tribe of Judah. Nobody else can be king, can be in charge, just your family. Well, that didn't make the rest of the guys always feel real good. And so, so Solomon is taxing these folk, the rest of these guys, to build his capital, which actually God did set up in the south, Jerusalem, in the tribe of Judah. The temple was in Jerusalem, in Judah, where God resided. And all the other people had to come to the south of Jerusalem, in Judah, three times a year to offer their sacrifices. Uh, now, there's some animosity stuff going on. The, the nation is ripe for, for a revolution right now. A uh, couple of characters, characters in the story. You've got Rehoboam, who's Solomon's boy. Uh, Rehoboam, I don't know how many children Solomon had. He had a thousand wives, so figure it out. I don't know how many he had. But yeah, probably had a lot. Crown Prince is this guy named Rehoboam. Rehoboam, you know, he's like, uh, from what we're going to read, he's kind of like the just can't wait to be king. He is looking forward to this. He's going to tell people what to do. No one's going to tell him what to do. He's looking forward to this. Second character in the story, a guy named Jeroboam. I wish it was like Rehoboam and Bill. It'd be not as confusing, but it's Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And, uh, Jer- Jeroboam, we're going to call it just Jerry, okay? But Jerry worked for Solomon in a past life. Solomon saw him and saw this guy's got incredible potential, incredible leadership ability. And so he brings this guy into his cabinet. Solomon makes this guy the, the uh, department chair of, of forced labor. So Jerry gets to know all the people out there. Jerry is not from the tribe of Judah, though. He's from the tribe of Ephraim. So the other people are kind of liking him. But word on the street is that Jerry has got his eyes set on the throne. Word on the street is that God has his eyes set on Jerry being on the throne. Well, this does not make Solomon happy. So Solomon puts a contract out on Jeroboam, who who takes off to Egypt, and he spends his time there. But as soon as Solomon dies, the people call him back and say, Jeroboam, Jerry, come back. Solomon's gone. Let's make our move. This takes us first Kings chapter 12. Verse 1 says, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. There was a leader, Jerry, takes the key leaders in the nation of Israel. They meet up with Rehoboam at his coronation and they say, hey, 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 listen, you want our, our taxes? You want, you want our, our support? We need some reforms now. Your dad wore us out. We need you to ease up. Okay, do we have word from you that you're going to ease up? Because if you're not, we're going on strike. So, so Rehoboam does something very wise. 
Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. We say, yay, Rehoboam, good job. Don't make a snap decision here. Think about it. Think about it. Then Rehoboam does a second wise thing. Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Now, Rehoboam connected here with some very wise counselors. And this is why they're wise. Not necessarily wise because they're aged. You and I both know people who have got the age who may not be, be wise. That's not the issue. These guys are wise because they are, are grounded in the word of God. This is how I know this. Solomon dictated the book of Proverbs. Who do you think wrote it down originally? These guys. Solomon dictated Ecclesiastes. Who wrote it down? These guys. Solomon dictated the Song of Solomon. He dictated a, a psalm or two. Who wrote it down? These guys. These are the guys that when the Queen of Sheba came, she looked at these guys and pointed to them and she said, Blessed are these guys who get to hear your wisdom all the time. These folk were grounded in the Word of God. As people who were, were in Solomon's cabinet leading, they would have known the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would have known the history of Israel up to this point. They would have certainly known this, this wisdom from Solomon that was spilling out all the time. They would have known this. They were grounded in the word of God. When you're seeking wise counselors, first thing that makes someone a wise counselor is whether or not they're grounded in the word of God. Second thing about these guys, of course, they were experienced. They served with Solomon 40 years. They no doubt were dealing with uh, uprisings and plagues and famines and unrest. And, and they have a good record. Peaceful peace after 40 years of this. Third thing that makes these guys wise, though, is that they had the wherewithal to tell Rehoboam the truth. You and I have got good friends. We ask them what they think. What do you think about this? Well, the first thing they're thinking in their mind is, okay, what can I say that's not going to get me in trouble here? What, how do I need to answer this? You know, it's like your wife says, does this dress make me look fat? You don't. You're not thinking what is true. You're thinking, okay, what's the right way to answer this question? To well, that's what, that's what these guys here were saying. Oh, no, no, no. We're going we're gonna to tell him the way it is. And however he deals with it, he deals with it. And so they, they laid it on the line. They said, listen, Rehoboam, your, your, your empire is just ready to implode, buddy. And if you want to secure your throne, if you want to, your, your, your throne to be established here, you need to make your first decision and come out to these folk and say, listen, my, my monarchy is for you. My life is for you. I'm going to serve you and we're going to pull. My father was, was bad. I'm not. We're going to be OK. He said, if you do that, you know what? Down the road, you're going to have everything you need. Well, Rehoboam wasn't necessarily looking for wisdom at this point. And so Rehoboam, it says in verse 8, rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Now, these young guys are probably their late 30s. Later on, we'll find out that Rehoboam was 41 when he became king. These guys grew up with him. So these, these are not, not kids. Um, but they did not grow up underneath Solomon hearing God's word on a regular basis. They did not have that experience of ruling, of knowing how to, to, to run a kingdom and would they have told him the truth if they knew it? I, I, don't, I don't know. But he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them this. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Tell them that. <laughs> That's what they deserve. Right? 
Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders and followed the advice of the young man and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, a key reason you and I reject counsel and advice is not necessarily because it's not true. Now, we'll tell ourselves it's not true. You know, your parent says, I don't think you should be dating him. What do we say? Oh, well, okay. No, no, you don't understand. You don't know him. You don't know me. Don't you trust me? Don't you know? You just don't know. You're old. You have a friend who says, you know, hey, hey this thing that you're doing, it's going to hurt you. Hey, you don't understand. And you don't know. And, uh, and rejection, rejection, rejection. A coach calls us on something or a friend calls us on something. I called up a, uh, actually wrote a letter to a pastor of mine one time. He was my senior pastor. I was underneath him. Uh, he was doing some things. Bottom line is, he's doing some things that were just not just unethical, but illegal. Nobody knew about, though. I got, I left, and I got convicted. I need to, I'm the only one who knows this stuff, but if it comes out, oh, man, it's going to be a mess. So I write him this long letter, praising him, thanking him, telling him, listen, I know your heart, you're not trying to do anything bad, you're trying to build the kingdom, yay, it's wonderful. But these things, A, B, C, D, it's, it's wrong. And if you don't fix this, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. I believe that the second after he read my, my letter, he called me up on the phone and he ripped me apart. Oh, man, he chewed me up one side and down the other. And how dare you? And you don't know. And you don't understand the pressures. And you're just a kid. And you wait one day. And blah, 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 blah. All right, all right. Uh, problems came out about two years later. This guy's ministry imploded. The church took a big hit and his life had been scarred from that point on as far as ministry stuff goes we often reject counsel not because it's not true but because it's not what we want to hear because to accept it is to indict ourselves. we've done something wrong we had wrong thinking we it's not going to give us what we want that's why we reject it but we talk ourselves into believing that they don't have a clue that's not the issue at all that's not that's not where it's at well look what happens with uh, Rehoboam's decision. Verse 15, let's skip there. Well, there's lots of good stuff here. It says, When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled them. Then King Rehoboam sent out Aniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Rehoboam's great decision was going to cost him his, his kingdom. But, you, you know, it's, it's way bigger than that. When, when you stop and you look at the big picture, the reason why God gave the world, the nation of Israel was that the nation of Israel might be an exhibit to the rest of the world that there was a God and he was good. And look at the blessings he pours on you if you follow him. That was the reason they were there, to be the bright light for the world. And that was put out. Now the north would be an apostasy continuously. The south would bounce back and forth between apostasy and orthodoxy until both groups were carried away into exile. 
nation was, was wiped out. Now, when we make decisions, this is a key thing if you're a follower of Christ. When we make decisions, first question we ask is what's best for us in all kinds of different ways, health and monetarily. And but the first thing really, the reason why we're making decisions, the reason why we're here is to make decisions that honor him, that honor our God. So let me ask you uh, three questions. Knowing that who we give our ear to, we give our future to. Three questions. First of all, as you're sitting where you're sitting, is there some counsel that maybe you've rejected at some time in the past that you need to go back and revisit? Somebody has given you some counsel. Somebody who used to love you or you thought loved you. But there's this big gap today. And you're sitting in a place where there's anger and there's animosity. And um, maybe you need to go back and revisit that counsel. That's swallow the pride thing. That's a tough thing. Is there somebody for you that you need to do that with? Second question. Who has your ear? Let me throw some things out. Uh, Oprah or Dr. Phil or some of the top talk show hosts. Maybe some authors that you like to read or some shows you like to watch or some music you like to listen to. Well, you listen to it so much that you're, you're singing it in your sleep. Now, it may, not be, it may not be straight up directly wrong stuff, but the philosophy underneath the show or underneath the music or underneath the literature is anti-God all over the place. Pouring that through. Just, you are allowing that. Who you give your ear to, you give your future to. You allow them to, to form your decision filter. Now, now, it's real important. Hear me. I'm not saying we separate ourselves from the world completely as far as shut all that stuff down. You can't do it. But you, you know the difference between being aware and embracing, right? You know the difference between listening to with discernment and just being a sponge and soaking up and throwing discernment to the wind. And he who has, since he who has your ear has your, your future. You say, am I, am I listening to, am I allowing non-discerning so, or am I allowing too much of somebody to speak into my life, whether I've ever met them before or not? So maybe a friend, maybe some celebrity, that I need to stop. I need to put a hold on and say, you know what, buddy, whoever, whatever, you do not have that kind of influence on me. I'm, I'm shutting you down. Thank you very much. Is there somebody? Because he who has your ear has your future. This is serious. This is serious. Third question. Are you facing a very significant decision right now? Well, you know what? You think about it. This is too complex. This is too big. I need, I need some counsel. Wise, godly, experienced counsel on this one. Again, I think within our body. We've got the answer to just about every question. But, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you are there, to, to get very serious, pray very seriously. Oh, God, who might I talk to about this? Is there somebody here that I need to talk to about this? Who would you show me who? I think he wants to answer that question. To the extent that you really want to see it answered, he'll answer it. But... but uh, we can't play games with him. He knows when we're goofing. Um, he who has your ear has your future. Huge, huge issue because our, our decisions come from that. Will you pray with me? God, would you, would you 
remind myself and my brothers and sisters here to be intentional. It's just so easy, Lord. So many folk trying to speak into our lives. It's just easy to turn on the radio or uh, watch something or, or read some media deal without even thinking of where they're coming from spiritually, of their understanding of you. God, we don't want to be companions of fools. But would you, would you remind us, Lord, to be intentional again about perhaps reading the right stuff and listening the, the right way? I would pray that that would be so. God, that you would shape within myself and your body here the filter we need to make the decisions we need to make. God, thank you for your people here. Thank you for holding their hand as many of them have walked through some incredible things. For showing yourself faithful. God, would you lead us? Would you help us to depend on each other in your spirit? As you've intended your body to be. That we might reflect you in this world. That we might make decisions based not on what we desire, but what you desire. I would pray that that would be so. May may you remind us of that even this week in the name of Jesus. Amen.